You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. So difficult for us sometimes when tragedy strikes. You hear about a tragedy around the world or it happens to some friends that you know or some people in your area or to a nation that you care about. And so often people will get on social media and they will talk to one another and they'll, they'll say, they'll do hashtags and they'll say like, our prayers and our thoughts go out to those people. And those two things, our prayers and our thoughts, to most people are actually the same thing. That what they really mean is that as I think of you and as I feel for you, that's all I'm saying, that there actually is no dedicated prayer on their behalf. There's no believing prayer that God is actually going to work in the situation where people are affected through tragedy. It basically in our culture just means, hey, good wishes. It means good feelings going out to people who are affected. But as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that prayer is far more powerful, that prayer activates God. And and I want you to know today, just even as you hear me, wherever you are, that when I'm even doing prep for a sermon, that I'm constantly praying through that sermon saying, God, give to me what your people need. Like, God, you work in this. I'm desperate for you. I need you. I can't come up with all this stuff on my own. Like, God, I need you. And so just to let you know that even as you're hearing this now, wherever you are, that All week long, you've been prayed for, that I've been begging God to give you exactly what you need. And so today I want to tell you why I think you need this sermon. Here's why you need this sermon today. Prayerlessness means you are making yourself God. This week, we've asked you to read Acts chapter 11 and Acts chapter 12, two chapters that really are tied together in the book of Acts as as kind of one scene in the story. And what we find in Acts chapter 11, we'll begin with verse 19, is this, that those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, they went to Antioch and they began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and they turned to the Lord and news of this reached the church all the way back in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived, he saw that the grace of God had, what the grace of God had done. And he was glad and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. We see that as persecution broke out, it spreads and there were some who were led by God to not just preach. And this was the pattern of the preaching in the early church that when Jewish believers first went to a new town, they would say, hey, where's the synagogue? Where do the the Orthodox Jews hang out? And they would preach first to the Jews and then they would preach eventually to the Gentiles. But as the church is expanding and moving from being a Jewish oriented church or an Israel oriented church, it's now expanding to these far reaches of places, there are some who are preaching to the Gentiles and the Lord's hand is with them. The good news about Jesus is saving Gentiles 
all over the place, which is good news for people like you, for people like me who are not Jewish in our heritage. We would be among those that the Bible would call Gentiles. And what Barnabas does, he goes to see it with his own eyes. I'm gonna go see what's going on here. And when he sees it, he brings this encouraging report back, praising God for what he's done to save Gentile people. But what does he do? He's got one encouragement for these new believers in Jesus Christ. And he says this, he says, remain true to the Lord with all your heart. Write that down if you're taking notes today. Remain true to the Lord with all your heart. Why? Because we know that our hearts can wander that our hearts are led by feelings. You might remember that old hymn that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God that I actually love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy throne above. The beautiful thing is it's God's Holy Spirit, the presence of God's Holy Spirit that seals your heart and my heart for heaven. He's the seal. He's the guaranteed deposit that heaven awaits us. But our feelings fluctuate, don't they? Our feelings go up and down. Sometimes you feel close to God. Sometimes you feel distant from God. But we've got the Holy Spirit. In this day and age, it's all too easy to live from your heart on a daily basis. It's all the time that people are saying, well, I just feel this so much. Or they're just like, you know, they don't say, I don't think that anymore. They, they say, I'm just not feeling it. I'm just not feeling it. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there are times that you and I have to tell our feelings, I'm just not feeling you. I'm just not feeling it. Why? Because feelings change. Emotions increase and then they subside. And what happens is we get led oftentimes by our hearts and people get confused about it. My heart might feel one thing, but my head knows something else. And, and right here, Barnabas is telling these believers, remain true to the Lord with all your heart. Because there are times that you're like, I wanna be true to the Lord. I'm just not in the moment feeling it. That's particularly true when there's division. That's particularly true when there is civil unrest. That's particularly true when it's been a very, very difficult year. What is he telling us to do to remain true to the Lord with all our hearts? He's saying you've given your heart to the Lord, remain true to the Lord with all your heart. Why? He's telling you and I to come back to our true self. One of the great delusions and deceptions of the enemy in the life of a person who's a believer is that your wandering and that your temptation are somehow actually the real you. The enemy wants to convince a believer that when you feel the attractions of the flesh, when you feel prone to wander, then in that moment, he's gonna say, that's actually the real you. And then you think, oh my goodness, if I'm fighting temptation, am I actually denying who I really am? And that's the quickest way you and I are gonna get off mission. And God doesn't want that for us. We're to remain true to the Lord with all our hearts. Second Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writes this. In chapter, in verse three and following, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to who? To our feelings? No, obedient to Christ. It's easy to think about what's going wrong. 
It's easy to think about how difficult the year has been. But I want you for a moment to remember. God calls us often to remember. Why? Because we're forgetful people. And for just a moment where you are right now, I want you to think of one memory so far in 2020, an experience or a memory you have of a time when you responded to God like, oh, isn't God good? Like, Lord, aren't you so good? Look how you answered that prayer. Look how you helped in this season. Look how you carried me through when I had no idea what you were doing. But there was some time, some moment, some experience you've had so far this year with all the bad stuff that's going on that you would say, Lord, aren't you good? Isn't God good? See, it's easy to remember the bad things. But one of the reasons that God calls us to remember is we often default to, okay, God, thanks, but what have you done for me lately? And God says, remember, remember me. Remember what I've done for you. Remember who I am as God. Remember why you gave me your heart in the first place. See, Barnabas knows how important it is to encourage them to remain true to the Lord with all your heart. Personally, for every time that we celebrate communion, I remember the sacrifice that Jesus paid for me and that his commitment to me is just as constant to me. Even though some hours and some days, some time has passed since I previously took communion, that when I take communion, I remember that God is for me. And in that, those days and hours, I did some things well, but I did other things poorly. But God's once for all sacrifice is still for me. He is still for you. It's why he instituted communion as a sacrament for us to follow. Because you and I need to, on a regular basis, constantly remember to remain true to the Lord with all our hearts. Remain true to the Lord with all our hearts. A heart that remembers to remain true to God is a heart that wants to approach God in prayer. Write this down. The, Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. In Acts 11, verse 25, it said, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people, and the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Previously, they had just been called followers of the way. It was just called the way. And so for years it was called the way. But now as the church progresses and branches out into Gentile areas, this is a place that people were first labeled are called Christians, that they were called Christ followers, little Christ Christians, Christ followers. Well, what does Barnabas do? He sees what God has done in this Gentile environment and he gets so excited and he brings a great report and he celebrates what God is doing. Then he goes and he looks for, for Saul Saul, who's Saul in his Hebrew name, Paul, the apostle Paul in his Gentile name. He goes and looks for Saul and they begin to spend time training up and helping and teaching these people and great numbers of people are coming to the Lord. Well, how should we respond in a season like right now at the movement and the work and what God is doing to reach people worldwide? We should celebrate it. 
When we find out what God is doing in Zimbabwe, even through the ministries we support at Sun Grove Church, when God, what God is doing in Guatemala, and what he's doing in Mexico, and what he's doing in the Philippines, and what God is doing in India in a tough season like right now, that we celebrate God's drawing of himself, people to himself all over the world as believers, even in a difficult year, we should celebrate God's movement and his work. We should absolutely celebrate that. Well, how should, you respond, how should you respond to the ways that God is moving and working in this time of pandemic? We should still celebrate what God is doing, even if we don't see the end, even if we don't know all the answers, even if we have difficulties ourselves, we still should celebrate the work of God drawing people like you or me to himself during a time like this. We celebrate People from every tribe and nation and language and ethnicity being saved and coming this new family under Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ alone, listen to me, it is a hope of actual reconciliation. No politic or social movement can permanently change the heart. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can take a Gentile heart and make them willing to associate with the Jewish people who believe in Christ. And only the gospel of Jesus Christ can take a, a Jewish person who has shunned the Gentiles for a year and make them willing to be in the same family of believers as the Gentile. We should take note that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the hope of reconciliation. And that's why the church is so valuable. That's why the church is so unique. That is why the church is a place that God is calling as a living people together to be his bride. God's in love with it. And we think that God's movement in the church worldwide is something that should be celebrated. Well, what about when you become a Christian, you're called the little Christ, you get that label. And what happens when you're a Christian now, but suddenly some things go wrong. Some tragedies strike. What happens when things go wrong for people called Christians? Herod arrests a couple apostles. He arrests James and he arrests Peter. And Herod has James killed. This is James, the apostle James, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. He has him killed. And it pleased a lot of the Jewish people who didn't like the message about Jesus Christ. He also arrested Peter. What do you think is going to happen to Peter? It's not good. It doesn't look promising for him. He's going, my friend, my, in a sense, my brother, this fellow apostle James has been killed. And now guess what's going to happen to me? It's not looking promising. So what do believers do when you face an impossible situation. I'll write this down. God is walking you out of a hard spot before you recognize it. Oftentimes, God is walking you out of a hard spot before you are able to see it. In Acts 12, verse 8, Peter's in prison and it says, then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And the angel told him, Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. 
and they passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. Remember that's before, you know, you go to the grocery store and the door just slides open there. They didn't have that back in those days. So the door just opens by themselves. They go through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. The older we get, we look back on life and the older we get, we kind of think that maybe someday I'm just gonna kind of like wake up and I'll see what's truly important in life and I'll just kind of change and adapt to that. I think as I look back at my life, I'm gonna, there are times I look back and just say, how silly some of my seasons were. And maybe you can relate. Maybe there were seasons like for you or for me where you just spent way too much time worrying about things that God ended up answering. How you wasted time or you wasted resources on worldly things instead of investing in the kingdom of God. And, and you're at a point in your life now to look back and go like, I wasted way too much time wondering how that would get answered. I wasted way too much time focused on myself instead of focus on the Lord. And somewhere, as he's in prison, Peter had to think, this is it. This is it. I mean, after all, in John 21, when Jesus reinstated me as an apostle, that at that time, he told me in not so many words that other people would lead me where I don't want to go. They would stretch out my hands where I do not want to go. What did Jesus tell Peter? That someday in the future, you will be captured. You will actually be crucified. And church history later tells us that that, in fact, happened. But how many times have you been in an impossible situation and you thought to yourself, man, this situation, it's just going to be the end of me. Perhaps you're thinking like God's just done with you or, or things are so bad that God's got to come back right now. Maybe you're thinking these are the end times. But as you look back over history, you see people all the time who thought that these were the end times. Maybe you get to the point where you face an illness and you think, this, this could be it. This is it for me. But many times, that impossible situation has not been the end for you. God has one more move up his sleeve. So here's Peter. He's thinking, he's dreading the possibilities. He's thinking, this could be it. God may not rescue me out of this one. And one Thing that you and I can realize is that as we are dreading the possibilities, you find out that God has actually been already walking you out of a hard spot. You just hadn't woken up to it yet. I love that. I love that because sometimes you think like the apostles, they just got it all. They just figured it all out. No, as they were going along, Peter, he just thought this is it. And so when the angel was leading out, he thought it's just a vision. It's just a dream. But no, it was actually the power of God working, but he didn't recognize it till he was way down the road. And I think in your impossible situation, God wants to remind you today that he's not done with you yet, that God answers prayer, that he is actually working in your impossible situation, even though you may not realize it yet. Well, what did the people do while Peter was in prison? Well, the people got desperate and they, they started praying. They started praying really, really hard. And write this down. 
God is answering your prayers as you pray, not after you hang up. Do people think like God doesn't get moving or activated until I'm done praying? So I pray once, kind of activates God and he gets going. Well, it's not what we see in the scripture. In fact, what we see in Acts chapter 12, verse 12, regarding Peter, it says, when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. And Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, well, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door, they saw him. They were astonished. Why? Because they probably been praying for James and James got killed. Now they were praying for Peter and they just couldn't fathom that, that God was already answering the prayers that they were praying as they were praying. But I want you to notice that prayer engages God and it activates change. I once heard that God doesn't always calm the storm, but that he calms his child who's afraid and in the storm. And in your impossible situation, God may not always make that impossible situation go away, but he is guaranteed to come along to calm you in it. Sometimes the delay to our prayers can actually be in the spiritual realm that sometimes God has answered the prayer, but there is a battle in the heavenlies over that prayer being answered in your life. He does here, but there can be a battle before the answer arrives. And sometimes we ask God, God, just please make the turmoil stop. But God is using it to grow us and help us to persevere, to help us in a time of turmoil to turn to him, to remain true to the Lord with all our hearts. And then he releases us from the turmoil. The reality is we don't know when that turmoil ends. So what are we commanded to do? We're commanded to pray, 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 and trust that God is already working. That not he's working sometime in the future, but that as you pray, God is working right now. If you're taking notes today, write this down. Pray to the true God and don't make yourself God. That's the danger Pray to the true God and don't make yourself God. Why? Because prayerlessness often means that you and I are making ourselves God. Like, God, I was depending on you, but since you didn't answer in my time frame, I'm now going to depend on me. So prayerlessness means you're making yourself God. And we get this picture of Herod who had arrested Peter. And there were some other political entities who were at odds with with Herod. They were withholding their tribute for their areas of authority. And they realized, man, our food source comes from Israel. We got to make peace with Herod. So they finally said, okay, we're going to humble ourselves. We're going to make peace with you, King Herod, and we're going to make peace. And so it was an amazing thing that happened. So Herod says, what we're going to do is we're going to hold a three-day festival with a bunch of shows. And it's during that time that in a sense, you can give me your apology. So that, the stage is set. Let's see what happens. Acts 12, verse 21. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. And they shouted, this is the voice of a God, not a man. And immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. 
but the word of the Lord, the word of God continued to spread and flourish. So we see one thing, Herod is struck down and dies. His word ceases. His word to kill Peter does not come to fruition. His word stops, but the word of God flourishes. And you need to know who Herod is because there's several in the Bible. This Herod is the grandchild of Herod who tried to kill baby Jesus. And this Herod is the son of the Herod who had John the Baptist beheaded. And this Herod kills James and wants to now kill Peter to please the people. And so he believes his own press. He trusts his own power, his own wealth, his own pride. And he is making himself out to be a god. We get a more detailed picture of this event. We're like, well, how do they know it was worms and how did he die? Well, we fortunately get a great picture of this event through the Jewish historian Josephus, not associated with the Bible, but Josephus records this event. And what he tells us is that Herod, shows, uh, Herod holds several days of a festival and on the second day, he comes out on the theater stage in the morning wearing a robe completely woven of silver. It is a silver robe. Now, imagine he comes out in the morning. This is before the days of stage lighting. This is the moment where he comes out and his entire garment is made of silver and the morning light is hitting it and it's reflecting off it. And he's saying, this is the time for you to give me your apology. And so the people begin to shout out, Josephus tells us, that they said, this is the voice of a God, not a man. And he had a violent attack, Josephus writes. He was seized immediately with severe pain in his belly. He was carried into the palace. He suffered for five days straight before dying at age 54. In all, he had only reigned seven years. But he was eaten by worms, and he died. Why? Because he wasn't depending on God and his power. He wasn't being led in his life by God and his power. He was completely relying on himself. He had pride. We have a cat and when our cat feels the irritation and it nibbles on its, on its arm and it maybe eats a flea that's there, right? It feels better because the, the itch is gone. The irritation is gone. But what happens is this. The flea has parasites in it. And that flea, the parasites in it, as it ingests it, now begins to grow worms on the inside. And so you can see when your animal starts feeling poorly, if you have a dog or a cat and it gets worms, you gotta get dewormers, so what do you do? You treat your cat or your dog for worms, but you've also gotta deal with the fleas on the outside. You've got fleas on the outside, but you got worms on the inside. And for Herod, there was something going on on the outside, but really was magnified by what was going on on the inside for him. I think for you and me, in an era like right now, we are inundated and sometimes irritated by the voices of culture and finance and social media and politics and opinion. You can't escape it. They're on the outside. But these voices have one agenda, to get ingested by you, to overwhelm you so that you own it, you ingest it, you think, oh, I'll just agree with it, and then it will kind of go away. But what happens is on the inside, it begins to fester. It begins to take a place, a root, a hold in your heart. Why? Because once ingested, 
the worms of self-reliance and pride in you will lead you to a prayerless and a powerless life. Why does the enemy in a difficult year want you to just give up? Why does he want you to throw in the towel? Why does he want you to lose hope? Why does he want you not to celebrate what God is doing? Because he wants you to rely on yourself and he wants pride to take root in your heart. Remember, prayerlessness means you're making yourself God. See, prayer is a wonderful external defense. Believing Jesus and having humility then occur on the inside. God, I don't know all the answers right now, but I believe you. God, I put my faith in you, even though it looks like the world has gone wild. God, I don't know what my future looks like, but I believe you. God, I don't know where you are in my impossible situation, but I choose to believe you. I invite you into where I am right now. I believe that you're working and I'm not gonna give up. I'm gonna pray to you, God, because I believe in the prayers I pray because those prayers are prayed to you. God, I believe you. Well, humility will occur on the inside when we do that. And it's a good defense, you know why? Because pride is the most dangerous worm of all. So today, I want you to self-diagnose. Have you been prayerless? Is prayer absent in your life? An actual practicing prayer, is it absent from your life? If so, what is really going on inside you? The external might be that prayer is absent, but internally is self-reliance taking root? Is pride taking root? And if so, like Barnabas, I hope to encourage you today to remain true to the Lord with all your heart. Turn back to him. Come to him in prayer, believing prayer, because it's important for you and I to believe the prayers that we pray. Because there's a God on the other end who is already at work and wants to work right now in and through you. But maybe today you're realizing I really have kind of never prayed. I've never realized that Jesus died on the cross for me. And maybe today is the first time that right where you are, you say, I'm gonna pray to God and invite him to save me from my sin, to cleanse me, to make me a new creation on the inside, to stop making myself God, which is so empty, and to begin to ask for him and his help, to begin to walk in relationship with the God who created you and loves you and wants to draw you to himself right now. And if that's you right where you are today, then you just pray a prayer like this. Just can repeat it after me. God hears you, you can do it on the inside. He hears you to say, Jesus today, I give you me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, that you were buried and you rose to new life because you're God. And I ask you, Lord, to come into my heart and cleanse me of all my sin. Wash me as white as snow. Take care of the worms, if you will, God, on the inside. Make me a new creation because today, Jesus, I give you me. And if you just prayed that prayer, a believing prayer in this moment, God has come into your heart. He is washing your sins away. He will wash you as white as snow and he wants to now have relationship with you. You do not have to fear death. Your sins are gone. And for that reason, we celebrate and God wants you and me to take that good news that we've received through him and share it with every nation, every language, every tribe, people of all over this world because it is the hope for reconciliation. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. 
For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.